So I've got two stories for you, um, two scenarios, and I want you to see if you can figure out why they are different. So story number one. A husband comes to his wife on their anniversary and gives her a bouquet of flowers and says, hey, let's go out for dinner. And she says, thank you, you didn't have to do that. The husband responds saying, yes, I did. It's, my, it's sort of my obligation as your husband to do something for you on our anniversary. I don't want you to be mad at me, so this is required. Scenario number two. A husband comes to his wife on their anniversary, gives her flowers, and says, let's go out for dinner. And she says, thank you. You didn't have to do this. The husband responds, yes, I did. I think it's important that we celebrate our love. Nothing makes me happier than seeing you happy. What's the difference? In both of these stories, the husband has the same actions. He gives his wife flowers, and they go out to eat. The motivation behind these actions is very different. Am I right? There are one, in the first story, the husband is motivated by fear, and he's a little afraid that his wife might get angry at him, and there's some unwritten expectations of what a husband should do on a wedding anniversary. The other story was motivated by love, for love for his wife, a desire for her to be happy. The actions of the two stories are exactly the same, but one man was living under the law and one man was living in grace. And that made all the difference. It's also what makes all the difference for us in all of our relationships, in any human relationship, as well as our relationship with God. God is the one who first showed us grace. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's the second Sunday in our series on the book of Galatians. And I'm going to do this in a rather straightforward way, break down Galatians 2, the verses that Dave just read for us, so that we can define what it means to live in grace. And then I want to draw out some applications, particularly uh, three things that living in grace frees us from. So if you're following along in Scripture, in verse 11 is where we're going to begin of chapter 2. And Paul is actually telling his Galatian readers a story of how he once had to correct the Apostle Peter regarding the same issue that they were having in their churches. So he says, but when Cephas, and I want to be clear, sometimes scripture is hard to decipher and dissect. Cephas, just so you know, is another name for Peter. Same guy. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly wrong. For some, before, some people came from James and he ate with the Gentiles. But when those people came, he drew back and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision group. So in Antioch, the apostle Peter was socializing with the Gentiles. He's breaking bread with the Gentiles in this church. And that is, he keeps doing that until some Jewish men come from Jerusalem, and then Peter puts some distance between himself and the Gentiles, and he starts only eating with those from Jerusalem. It turns out Peter was afraid 
We don't exactly know why Peter was afraid. Perhaps he didn't want to look like he had turned his back on his Jewish heritage, or maybe he was afraid that he wouldn't be respected if people caught him eating with the Gentiles. We don't know why, but in any case, we know that Peter has sinned by separating himself from the Gentile Christians. Paul continues in verse 13, the rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So Paul is calling Peter's actions here hypocrisy because Peter knew that this was not the message of the gospel. Peter was the one who had received the vision in Acts chapter 10 where God declared all food clean. Peter is the one who then stood up at the Council of Jerusalem and said God does not discriminate between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, Peter's the one who said, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are all saved just as they are. So Peter knew and had this conviction about everyone, Jew and Gentile, being saved through faith in Jesus. The hypocrisy was the fact that Peter was acting in direct contradiction to what he knew in his heart and what he had already stated earlier. The rest of the Jews in Antioch, including Barnabas, are following Peter in this trail of hypocrisy. Can you imagine this poor Antioch church? They're completely split down the middle. Jews on one side, Gentiles on the other. Can you imagine if I were to ask everyone in this room of German descent to sit on this side of the church and the rest of you to sit on this side? Or what if we were to have a cookout where half of us went inside to eat and the other half stayed outside? This kind of behavior was incredibly damaging for the church in Antioch. Paul knew that this behavior was leading people to cause division and to distort the gospel. So when he arrived in Antioch, he decided he was going to call Peter out in a public way. Verse 14. But when I saw that they were not acting according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, if you, a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. So three times in just two verses, Paul's saying that justification is only found through faith in Jesus Christ. Three times in these verses, he repeats, no one is justified by the works of the law. He cannot emphasize this enough. Salvation is Jesus Christ, nothing less and nothing more. Whether you're a Christian in Galatia or Antioch or Lincoln, Nebraska, salvation is Jesus alone. Most of you already knew that. So here, let me tell you the fundamental problem that we have. Everyone here wants to be justified before God. And to be justified means that you are declared innocent by God. Every single person in this room wants to stand before God and hear, not guilty. This man, this woman, you are innocent. Most of us understand on some level that we are justified before God based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. 
We're declared righteous, not because we ever lived perfect lives, but because Jesus has lived the perfect life and paid the penalty for our sins at the cross. But we still live like we have to earn God's approval. That's the very truth that Peter was compromising when he refused to eat with the Gentiles. He was living as if all these old rules still mattered, even though he believed in his head that we're saved by what Christ has done, we keep slipping back into religion. We keep thinking that it's up to us. And so the first thing we have to do is get it in our heads that nobody is saved by what they do. The only hope that we have, no matter who we are, is that Christ Jesus has done it for us. Nobody will stand before God someday and be vindicated based on their own performance. Not Peter, not Paul, not Billy Graham, not Beth Moore, nobody. We have to beat this into our heads because too many of us are still acting like it depends on us. Nobody is accepted by God based on their performance. So if someone tells you that you need to be circumcised to belong to God, or someone pressures you to change your diet to belong to God, or get right with God, if someone thinks you need to shape up and do something before you can come to church, they are all wrong. Whatever law someone tries to add on to Jesus is going to be wrong. Salvation is God's grace. It's faith in Jesus Christ with no strings attached. Paul knew this, Peter knew this, but we all know it's one, it's some, it's one thing to know something and it's a completely different thing to live it, right? We know this in our head, but do we actually live it? And so Paul knew this was people's problem. So he goes in verse 20 and says, and tries to explain and define what it means for us to live in grace. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I'm now living in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not regard the grace of God as nothing. Paul's saying that he has been crucified with Christ. He says that that part of me, that sinful, greedy, prideful part of me was crucified with Jesus and then was buried with him. And the one who rose up from the grave was not me. It wasn't my sinful self, it was Jesus who rose out of the grave. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this is the story for you and me today. The person that you most regret being, the person who committed that sin, the person who said those damaging words, the person who's lived a lie, the person who's chief of sinners, in all of us. That person died with Jesus on his cross. Each time we come to God in repentance, that sinful nature is nailed to the cross and we live a new life. More accurately, Christ lives in us. This is what it means to live in grace. It means to live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. It means that the theme of your life is going to be about how much Jesus loved you, the unconditional and boundless love of God. That's grace. 
That's what God wants us to live and to breathe, to model to others and to share. That's the message of Galatians 2. Now, from this passage, I want to draw out three things that living, from, living in grace frees us from. So living in grace will free you from fear. Living under the law leads to fear, fear of people and fear of God. Just like when Peter was afraid of those Jews who showed up from Jerusalem, if you live in fear, you too may be living under the law, even though you know that is not what God wants for you. If you feel pressured by someone at work, if you can't stop worrying about your family, if you're afraid of the, about the future, whatever it is, your primary need is to live in the grace that you say you believe. Stop and think about what it means that God gave his son to die for you. The gospel must mean, if anything, it means that the God Almighty is for you and not against you. If God has judged you as righteous because of Jesus, then how can you be afraid of the judgment of others? If God has promised to be with you and to work for your good, and then live in the grace of that and do not be afraid. Paul writes to us in Romans 8, What then shall we say if God is for us? Who can be against us? And the writer of Hebrews says, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 1 says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-control. Sure, we all, I get it, we all have temporary lapses in our faith, like Peter did. But God is gracious. And he sent Paul to Peter to bring him back in step with the gospel. And this morning, he reminds you that if you live in this grace, you don't have to fear anyone and you don't have to fear anything. Living in grace also sets us free from this temptation of legalism. Paul says in, to Peter in verse 14, if you, though a Jew, live like a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, Peter could have said, hey, I never told them that they had to live like Jews. And if he would have said that to Paul, Paul would have said, yeah, but your actions speak louder than your words right now, Peter. The definition of legalism is requiring a person to meet a certain standard in order to be accepted by God or be accepted by the church. That is not grace. That's Jesus plus a bunch of other things. <laughs> Jesus alone is salvation. Beyond repentance and faith in Christ, we dare not put anything else in the way. Not a single one of you goes around telling people to be good so that God will love them. So let's be real careful that we don't model something different through our actions. This could be so blatantly obvious as you refusing to invite someone to church or refusing to talk to someone about Jesus because they boast about their sin and they've got some really bad habits. You're thinking, this person has to do some change before I can have this conversation with them. Or maybe it's as subtle as a sideways glance at what that person sitting next to me in worship is wearing today. Legalism is present among us as much as it is out in the world. And the answer, how do we respond to this? 
we live in grace. Grace teaches that all people are equally sinful and yet equally and eternally loved by God. Grace leaves us no room for unloving judgment or prideful conditions. Grace teaches us to reach out with God's love regardless of ethnicity, regardless of how someone is dressed today, regardless if we agree with their theological and biblical interpretation, regardless of who they are in their life, and regardless of what they have done. Living in grace also sets us free from law-based relationships, which are actually the most common type of relationships we have in our world. They're everywhere. Does the car mechanic get the job done and on time? If he does, you pay him and you come again. Does the food taste good at the restaurant? Was the waitress attentive? If so, you'll tip nicely and consider coming again, and if not, you leave a smaller tip and you don't return. That is a law-based relationship. It makes some sense in our professional world, but these kind of relationships are horrible in the home. Sadly, this is the story for many marriages, many parent-child relationships, and for many friendships. We would never say to people that our love for people is conditional or that our love is focused on performance, but like Peter, sometimes our behaviors speak differently. We don't want to feel like we're trying to earn the love of our spouse. We don't want children to think that their parents' love for them is conditional, and we don't want kids to be afraid to come to them when they make a mistake. We don't want our friendships to be cold or performance-based, performance-driven like they might be in our workplace. We certainly don't want anyone to think that God's love is conditional. Thankfully, living in grace frees us from all of this. The gospel says God loves us before anything happened, before anything, despite anything that has happened, and God loves us through anything that will happen. Grace frees us to serve God in thankfulness and joy, and we don't have to respond in a sense of fear or obligation. God made you for himself from the moment you were born. You your worth is simply in being who you are. God will never love you more than he does right now. And guess what? God will never love you any less than he does right now. So stop believing that faith, that you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but living as if you need to do Jesus plus all your own efforts in order to be saved. Stop believing that you're saved in faith by, in Jesus Christ, saved by faith in Jesus, but then living as if you need Jesus plus all your own efforts. Not only will this change your relationship with God, it will also infuse grace into your relationships with other people. So let me give you an example of what this might look like. I heard a father talk once of how his son had done some foolish things and ended up getting kicked off his college football team and losing a hefty scholarship. Of course, this father was extremely angry. But after praying about it, the first thing he said to his son was, I love you, and this doesn't change that one bit. And you know what else? God loves you, and this doesn't change that one bit. He didn't ask him how could he be so foolish. He didn't tell him he was a disgrace to the family. 
He didn't talk about all the money that was lost. What a blessing it was for that young man to hear grace from his father. Parents in the room, we need to have grace-based relationships with our children. If we want them to come to us with their mistakes, if we want them to listen to us in love and not just out of obligation, let's affirm God's grace and unconditional love for them. Do that every day. Spouses, the same is true. Could you remind yourself of God's love and your own love for one another before you talk about a difficult matter? When was the last time you told your husband or your wife that nothing can change your love for them? That could change the conversation. Finally, you and I as Christian people might be the only grace-based relationships that some of our friends will ever have. Let's be Christ to them. Let's invite them to church next week instead of waiting till they get their act together. Let's show Christ's commitment and compassion. Let's live in the grace that God has already shown us. Even with the, when the kid in the drive-thru gets your order wrong, even when somebody annoys you here at church, and even when you mess up yourself, let's live in God's unconditional grace. Amen.